Hey, Drew Dixon here, Chief Content Nerd at Love Thy Nerd, back with you for another Bible Thump. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 20. Jesus entered a house, and a crowd gathered again, so that they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him, because they said, He is out of his mind. The scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. So he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposed himself, opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is finished. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Okay, so another one of those stories in the Gospels that we skip over, um, at least when, at least on Sunday morning. Like this is a passage that is rarely preached because it it's it's tough, and we don't really know what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about that unforgivable sin. I promise I'll touch on that. Um, but also, it's just weird that, I mean, early on in Jesus' ministry, um, his own family questions him, right? And even tries to restrain him. Like, it's almost like they're siding with the religious leaders who didn't like Jesus and who were trying to discredit him. Um, in fact, I think that's exactly what's going on, is that his own family um, is embarrassed of him. Um, and if you've ever been in a situation like that where you felt like your family sided with, um, you know, the culture around you or, or, or the people around you who were questioning you and who doubted you, who, who uh, you know, were, wanted to discredit you, um, that's super painful, right? But I think we need to remember, um, and, and I think also, by the way, I think there's this temptation to read stories like this and kind of go like, because when when everybody else discredits someone and, and doubts someone, when it seems like there's so many voices that are saying, hey, th- this person's in the wrong, I mean, I think there's a real temptation to go like, well, maybe there is something r- wrong about this person. Um, maybe they, they are on the wrong side of things. Um, because we live in this, like, groupthink is a huge problem in our culture, right, where people don't really think for themselves, but they just you know, we're outraged by the things that we think we're supposed to be outraged by. If everyone else is outraged by something, we're going to join in on that rage. And like social media, um, these kinds of things are really driving what we value and what we think is important. Um, and so if the masses are upset, we assume we ought to be too, and we can easily join in. And I think that's kind of what's going on here. And, and also, what's going on is is Jesus has been labeled by the religious leaders of his day, by the scribes, a certain way. Um, they've done everything they can to, to discredit him. And listen, um, when the stakes are raised uh, and, and a label can be stuck to somebody, then it doesn't matter what you do to that person or how you hurt them, right? Or even a group of people. This is how all kinds of atrocities have been committed throughout history, right? Because you just label a certain group of people as somehow less than or somehow flawed in some in some significant way, if you can label people strongly enough, if you can get that label to stick, then it doesn't matter how you treat them. And so the religious leaders are certainly at work to try to get a label to stick on Jesus that will allow them to put him to death. 
And that's ultimately what happens to Jesus. But people, even Jesus' own family, were calling him mad. They were saying he was crazy, he was out of his mind. And listen, people only say that kind of thing when the stakes are really high, right? When something's happening um, that you can't explain. Um, And that's exactly what's going on here. A power is at work to heal people and free them from demonic oppression. So what's kind of messed up about this whole story is that um, the stories about Jesus are really beautiful and good. And yet, people, even Jesus' own family, are responding to them by saying, well, the only way we can explain this is to say that this guy's out of his mind. Like, he's nuts. Uh, He's mad. Uh, He's losing his mind. Um, But what's going on in Jesus' ministry? Remember, the blind are receiving their sight. People with shriveled hands are being healed. People who can't walk are, are not only receiving the ability to walk, and their backs and their legs are being healed, but their sins are being forgiven. Jesus is proclaiming a message of hope, and he's making the lives of people better. He's doing um, a work of renewal, of spiritual and physical renewal. Jesus is looking at everything that's wrong with the world and making it right. Um, He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. Everything that's broken about our world, Jesus is stepping in and bringing renewal. And it's really beautiful. I mean, up to this point in Mark's gospel, the story of Jesus has been a really, really um, life-affirming one, one in which um, all kinds of people who were um, shunned by ancient Jewish society and by society at large in many ways are being welcomed and loved and served and healed. And people who have been suffering in all kinds of debilitating ways for years are are finding renewal, are finding healing. So again, you know, I think that, illustrates the power of labels. So what's the lesson for us there? I think the lesson for us there is to be really, really careful about labeling other people. Um, This is one of the easiest ways to um, free yourself from responsibility when it comes to other people, is just to put a label on them. Say, that person is to this or to that or to whatever. Um, And I think the example we get from Jesus is one where he just refuses to write people off and refuses to label people. Even the Pharisees, um, even the scribes, even the people who hate him the most, he's, he's pushing them. He has a relationship with these people and he's, he's asking them to consider uh, where, they're, where they've gone wrong. He's inviting them to repentance. He's inviting them to a relationship with him. I mean, I think one of the best examples of this is the parable of the prodigal son, where Jesus essentially ends that parable with an invitation to the older brother types of the world, which which definitely referred to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he's saying, come, come to the party, like you're invited. So I really want to challenge you to think of the ways that you're tempted to label people. Um, huge one today is politics, right? Um, if you're not on my side of the aisle politically, then you are, are so broken and so wrong and, uh, I mean, we do this, and we, we meld that with religion, too, don't we? It's like, if you—I mean, Trump made this worse, I think, in a lot of ways. President Trump um, caused people to go way farther left and way farther right. People on the right went for, way further right. People on the left went way further left. And what did each side begin to do? They began to, to label each other as beyond hope, as, as not worthy of a relationship, not worthy of a conversation. And listen, I get it. There's— we all have to draw lines in our own lives with some of the people closest to us, especially about things that we don't want to talk about because we just can't seem to, to see eye to eye on them. And I get that. That's understandable. 
But at the same time, I think there's an example from Jesus, a call to just avoid thinking of people in a certain way because they don't fit our politics or they don't fit our background or they don't see things the way that we do. Um, Don't label people. Jesus didn't. Instead, we should look for ways to love them and serve them. We should look for ways to hear them out. We should look for ways to enter into their world and be a source of life and encouragement. Um, How can we bring life to the people around us? How can we help them? How can we serve them? How can we have meaningful conversations with them that will give them hope? I think that's the example we see with Jesus. So after Jesus' family tries to restrain him, uh, and then the uh, scribes begin to spread this message like, hey, you're doing these things in the power of Beelzebub. Like, you are casting out demons, and as you're doing this, you're actually you're actually using the power. You're like relying on the power of, of demons to do these things. So Jesus gets a chance to respond to this, and he summons everybody together, and he tells them some parables. And he says, how can Satan tribe out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is finished. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can plunder his house. Jesus is pointing back to something really important that was said about him early in Mark's gospel. You remember John the Baptist and his ministry? And John the Baptist said, there's one who's coming after me who is stronger than me. Um, And I think Jesus is saying, I am that strong man. Um, he is the one who's he's the one who is stronger than John the Baptist, and Jesus has won initial victory over Satan and his demons, hasn't he? We've seen that already. He's won initial victory over Satan and his demons in the sense that he withstood temptation in the wilderness and did not give in. He is he has achieved victory over Satan in the sense that he has cast out demons. He's winning battles. And he's winning more and more battles against Satan and entering into more and more of Satan's territory. So the scribes try to discredit Jesus because he isn't playing by their rules, right? I don't think that they're necessarily upset that people are being healed and, and helped, but rather that Jesus isn't doing things the way that he that, he, that they would. And, you know, he lets his, his disciples pick grains of, of pick heads of grain on the Sabbath, and um, he, he healed people on the Sabbath, and he says things like, your sins are forgiven, take up your mat, right, and walk. Um, he isn't playing by the rules. So here's the question for us. How do we respond to undeniable good? How do we respond to seeing people's lives being made better, people receiving uh, healing, people receiving help, people receiving kindness, um, especially when we see people receiving kindness that we think they don't deserve. How do we respond? Does it, if it doesn't fit into our narrative, especially if it doesn't fit into our narrative of how we think things should work, because we all have this narrative that we think like, and a lot of times it's tied to us. Like if we see someone getting help or being blessed in some specific way and we think they didn't earn it or we think that, that we ought to receive that kind of help or that kind of assistance or that kind of good in our lives and we're not getting it, Um, it can be really easy to label that person and and claim that they don't belong, that they're not a part of the kingdom or a part of of how we think things should go, right? Um, And so, so yeah, so the real temptation there is to silence those people, is to label them a certain way and, and claim that they're actually on the outside. 
we're never on the outside, right? We never silence ourselves. We're always the ones that are doing things the right way. And that's what exactly what the scribes are doing. They say um, he's doing these things um, through the power of Beelzebub, this, this, this demonic power. Um, this is an attempt to silence Jesus. And if they can get this narrative to stick, they can justify doing anything, right, to stop Jesus. If they can, whether they actually believe this narrative or not, um, if they if they can convince themselves and other people of this narrative, if they get it to stick, then they're home free to do what they want to stop Jesus. But Jesus offers a different account of what's going on. Um, these healings and exorcisms are evidence that God's kingdom is actually arriving in the person and work of Jesus. That people who are held captive are actually being set free. The stronger one has arrived. The strong one finds his house being being burgled, and so he steps in and does something about it. Jesus' healing and his exorcism are signs that God's kingdom is here. And people are getting new life, are receiving new life, and their sins are being forgiven. Remember Satan, that word Satan literally means the accuser. So Satan is constantly at work accusing us and claiming that we're on the outside, that we don't belong to God, that we can't have a relationship with God, that we're not good enough for a relationship with God. And Jesus' ministry um, really in so many ways revolves around helping people see that we are welcomed in, we are wanted, we are uh, invited to be a part of God's kingdom and the work he's doing in the world. Um, God wants a meaningful relationship with each of us and wants us to participate in his work of redemption and renewal. He wants us to be a part of this good kingdom he's establishing. So how can we get on board with that kingdom? This kingdom is beautiful and good, and I want to I jump on. I want to be a part, don't you? How can we do that? Well, I think we get a sense of how we do that by looking at the warning he gives, right? He gives a warning at the end of this passage. He says, Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter, but, whatever, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Um, and so, and he said this, right, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So I want to read you something that N.T. Wright said about this passage. He said this, Jesus' critics had painted themselves into a corner. Once you label what is in fact the work of the Holy Spirit as the work of the devil, there's no way back. It's like holding a conspiracy theory. All the evidence you see will simply confirm your belief. You will be blind to the truth. Um, I remember when I was a kid, uh, me and one of my best friends, I would spend the night at his house and we'd play this game sometimes where we would look out the window, right? And just observe what was going on on his block. Um, and we would watch, and he lived right by this park too. So there were always like people parking at this park and, you know, that kind of things. It was like right across the street from his house. Um, and so we'd watch these cars stop there and who knows what they were doing, probably like teenagers or, um, you know, but we would just run, we would build these narratives in our mind of like, oh, they're buying drugs or, oh, they're doing this or that, or, oh, that person's up to nothing, something no good. And so then every new car that would show up or ever anything that went on in that park across the street would begin to be evidence, right? It was like a conspiracy theory. We would, all the evidence you see will simply confirm your belief. Um, and that, that's what was going on with, with the, with with this, this, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they'd become blind to the truth. It isn't that God gets specially angry with one sin in particular. 
It's rather that if you decide in your mind, if you confirm in your mind that the doctor who is offering to perform a life-saving surgery on you is in fact a sadistic murderer, you're never going to give consent to the operation. You see? Um, if we decide to label the work of Jesus as something that um, is actually broken and actually not going to give us life and is actually oppressive, then we're never going to, to trust him. There's no middle way. For the world today, as for Israel back in Jesus' day, Jesus isn't just an interesting person or a, a good teacher, as some people would say today. He's not this guy that had lots of good ideas and beautiful stories. Um, no, he's, he's king, and he's God, and he's coming to do something about what's wrong with our world. He's either the one who's bringing God's kingdom or he's a crazy madman, right? And so those who preach and live by Jesus' message, we need to be on the alert for, for this kind of opposition um, and, and the ways we're being influenced by it, the ways we're tempted to think maybe Jesus is wrong, right? If Jesus really is doing all the kinds of things he said and claimed to do uh, that Mark says and claims that he did, um, then I want to get on board with that kingdom, and I don't want to label it, and I don't want to misunderstand it, and I don't want to um, side with everyone else. Like, I want to side with Jesus, right? Um, let God be true and every man a liar, the Bible says. Um, I want to side with him. So, as we close, just want to remind you some things that we've we've talked about. Let's be careful about labeling other people so that we don't have to love them or serve them or minister to them. Um, Let's be careful about running with narratives that aren't true. Let's make sure that we don't just give in to all the narratives around us without giving thought to them critically and carefully and thinking about the ultimate narrative we've been placed in, which is, which is the gospel. And finally, let's participate in his kingdom. I asked earlier, you know, what does it look like to participate? Well, I think it starts simply by just acknowledging that it's true, like, and not buying into these narratives that would say that the kingdom of God is actually oppressive or is actually harmful in some way, but that we would just get on board with Jesus and say, no, you're right, you're true. I think that's the first step, is just to say, Jesus, what you're doing is good and beautiful and true, and I want to be a part. You want to be a part of God's kingdom? Let's just ask him. Let's just ask. Jesus, I want to side with you, and I want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. If we'll sincerely pray that, I think that's a prayer God's going to help us with. That's a prayer he's going to answer. And that's really good news. Thanks for your time. We'll see you next week for another Bible Thump.